Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, an architect and a director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. In each episode, I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I am joined by the architect Jay Gort, director of the British practice Gort Scott. We discuss The Rock, a home they have designed for a family of five overlooking Alta Lake in Whistler, Canada. The home is conceived as a form which belongs to the rocky outcrop that it sits on, emerging from it, surrounding it and celebrating it. The design plays with the contrasts between light and dark and openness and enclosure. Living spaces are formed out of concrete blades that seemingly emerge from the rocky outcrop. The heavy forms of the concrete form walls and floors that frame views of the lake and surrounding mountains. And the split levels of the living spaces respond to the natural topography of the rock below and are unified by a floating horizon of a textured timber ceiling above. In the interview, Jay tells me about how he convinced the family to select a UK-based architect to design their dream home in Canada by visiting and getting to know the rocky outcrop intimately. We discuss the process of developing the design and the influences that shaped it and how this incredible house feels to live in now. If you would like to find out more about Gort Scott and The Rock, you can find information on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy listening. Jay, hello and uh, welcome to another Architecture Podcast. Hello George, very nice to be here. Um, Firstly, let's just start with congratulations on on the project that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about The Rock um, and congratulations on on a great uh, project that you recently fairly recently published um i'm really interested to to sort of find out about a lot of things on on this house i mean the location the how you came to be doing this house the and and the design and how that evolved um and maybe location is a great place to start because it's it's a very kind of evocative and romantic location the idea of having a house on a, overlooking a lake in whistler um how how did you get to be even being the architect for a house uh, in in Canada as a UK-based architect? Um, So it was actually, I mean, yes, I mean, really amazing sites and really amazing projects to be working on, especially seeing as most of our work being in the UK before then. Um, But I think that we, we, this was won actually through an architectural design competition, which is actually really quite rare, as you probably know, being an architect yourself, to have a design competition for a house. But I think it was the reason why the client had devised a competition for this is because it was a sort of it's very much a lifetime project for them, even though it's a, it's a very special house. And it was it's you know, it's not it isn't a client that's got lots of houses all over the world and sort of like, you know, it's going to be a holiday house. It's actually a house for their family that they're going to go in and, and really live in and, and, and root down in. Um, and he actually he, he, he's someone that had been to Whistler. He, he didn't live in Whistler before being there, but they'd spent their, many of their holidays with their family. So um, he has a wife and three children and they were young children at the time. Um, and they'd fallen in love with Whistler as a, as a, just a wonderful place of the world. And then actually found this particular site that this, the, the project was on. Um, and he, he then had this site for a while, realized what was trying to consider how to, how to get an architect for this and realize it's going to be really important to him to have a very personal relationship with the architect as they develop this mm-hmm. through. And so over, over a few years when he had the site without an architect, he started to write a brief and then decided, um, you know, to run an architecture competition after, after actually interviewing a few architects who sort of local to the area um, and just felt that he wanted an architect that hadn't necessarily done project like this before so something mm-hmm. when he was showing being shown other projects there was something about them that somehow put a distance between him and the idea of his future house and wasn't quite there so yeah. i think as someone someone who actually he'd made you know his, his business was actually investing in companies and investing in in talent and trying to um uh, support that he thought there'd be a really positive thing to try and do that with a to take on a younger architecture practice so anyway he set an architecture competition and we managed to get on the long list because uh, mabel law who actually is an important figure in, within the whole process 
Um, she'd worked as an interior designer for him on a project previously. Um, and she put us onto this list of 20 architects. I think it was a long list. Um, mm-hmm. And because we'd done that, we'd done the house in the Isle of Man made out of stone. That was quite nice. We'd done a few house, you know, back extensions and smaller projects and house refurbishments within London. Um, and so we got on this list and then actually that when we got through to the short list of, I don't know if it was four or five architects, we actually went over to the site itself and spent time on the site, uh, which, which was a really important part of us winning the project. So to answer the question, it's really about an architecture competition that was, yeah. um, which, which is a, which is a lovely way, a lovely way to start a relationship in a way. And it is it's it is rare for a house, isn't it, to to have an architecture competition internationally, yeah. um, as well. So, what were the next steps for you? Was the next step was you went to the site? Was that after you'd been shortlisted or after you'd been selected? So that was after you'd been shortlisted. Um, we then went to the site. Oh, I went to the site and um, just spent. I think it was. I think I don't know. If, I don't. I don't think actually some of the other competitors. I mean, one of them might have gone to the site, but others didn't. And I just felt. Mm-hmm absolutely essential to go to the site and understand it and actually from the photo and I almost I actually hesitated in really even looking at the drawings and the photographs and the plans before going there I just wanted to go mm-hmm. there and immerse myself in it and really have that in that intuitive one-to-one feeling of connection to the site itself um and so spent I think we had about five or six days on the site um I was there from sort of dawn till dusk in a way and it was sort of different. It looked quite a lot of different weather even during that week, and just um, really looking at the views, looking at the, the way the light falls, the, the smells, the, the, the noises, the, you know, the connection you have to the, the environment around there. Sort of climbed up trees, walked down through bushes, you know, just really trying to sort of pace out the ground and get a sense as well of the topography because it's quite a steep. You're on this quite steep incline, um, and I think it was actually described. It was, it was really trying to it was describing that experience of moving from the lake up to the top of this rock um, and talking about that and talking about a diary in a way of my time on the site, which I think really engaged with the client because the client read that and thought that was, that was how he had that similar experience of moving through the site as well. And I think we then obviously came with lots of sketches when we were there and we developed those. And some of those, the, the core concepts stayed the same, but actually it's gone through many changes. But what had, what didn't was that first reading of the site um, mm. So yeah, and this site when you were there, it's an it was an empty site. It's a rocky outcrop next to a lake with amazing views. Was there anything on the site at the time, or were you literally sat in the elements with your sketchbook? No, and... basically the site had. I mean, some people might think it's a sort of it's on the top of the mountain somewhere. There's nothing else around it, and that doesn't really. Ha- it, it appears it feels like that sometimes, but actually you're quite close to the lake, and there's a public park there, and we actually there mm-hmm. are neighbouring buildings as part of a strata. It's called the strata of like a collection of how homes in this mm-hmm. sort of area, but it is slightly off to one side on its own up on that rocky outcrop. Um, and so, um, oh, crack, I've forgotten the question. Well, sorry, sorry. Well, George. I'm just trying to picture, um, I'm trying to picture what you were doing for these five, six okay. days when you were there. I'm imagining oh, yeah, sorry, you sat you, there with an anorak with some sandwiches on the, on a rock. Um, yeah, yes. and is that, have I got the right picture? That's sort of true in a way. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, yes. Yeah, so, so, so was it just a completely empty site? Yes, it's an empty site, but it had already been cleared. Some of the, in the middle of the site, some of the trees had already been cleared. So you could get yeah. an appreciation of the scale of the site when it was on for sale. And then really it was just literally quite empty and, um, just moving around and then sketching and I think just it was a it was just lovely to be there to I guess I was testing out ideas sketching ideas on the site when it mm-hmm. uh, in the days when it was, it was sunny and, and and just drawing my way around it and I had like scale plans and things and trying to sketch out and then actually trying to imagine where you might place the various rooms of the project in yeah. relation to sort of particular views or you know climb up the trees to get a sense of how high that might be what view you'd get from there and and what have you and so yeah it was it was and just taking lots of photographs and films and things and sketches so um but i think the it was also i also spent quite a lot of time walking around the wider area as well so it wasn't just on the site but like walking down the woodland trails around from there and see you know climbing up behind the rock up, up towards up the foothills of whistler mountain to look down at the site from there and just trying to get it from all vantage points really to try and just get, yeah. get a sense of the whole topography of of the place and this idea of the the experience of 
journey of moving from the lake up to up to the top of the rock what how did that then influence what you were designing um well that essentially that 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 really was really fundamental in 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 the whole proposal i mean there was something about when you walked up from walked up to the top of the to to the rock you would as happens when you walk up a hill there's a route that sort of you went over this sort of like little little ravine this little stream area and then the, the, the journey sort of slightly curled as it went through the trees and it went upwards and it went through a series of sort of unfolding horizons of where you'd see increasing a little bit more light as you're looking towards the lake and towards Raven Mountain and beyond. And and I think and as you went up, you'd then be able to get little glimpses through the trees to like different areas over to, the, to Wedge Mountain or towards Whistler. And then gradually as you came up towards the top of the rock, there was this quite undulating topography of mm-hmm. the, the way the rock moves them down. And there was something where it felt like little dips and hollows, which felt like a space where you could could have a room or something. And then when you got to the very crest of the rock, there was actually, from there, you could have a sort of, have this amazing position where you could look down and you feel over the lake. But then behind you, if you turn 180 degrees, you could see the peak of Whistler Mountain. And there's this sensation of being on top of this rock. But then you were also, you were also sort of enclosed by this cloak of trees behind you. But when you're on mm-hmm. top of the rock, you could you could actually hear the noise of just down below, maybe for 150 meters away from you from there, or 100 meters away. There was sort of there's a public park, Lakeside Park in Alter Lake, where and you could hear people playing around in the water there, or just on site, mm-hmm. and it's like a muffled sound, and you felt like you were engaging with those people. But because of this cloak of trees around you, you didn't feel like you were really totally exposed as well. And I think mm-hmm. they somehow really wanted to keep that sensation of being able to keep the top of the rock here and be able to look down to the lake, across the lake towards the mountain, but then, and then back to Whistler Mountain as well. And then that journey towards that of these unfolding horizons was something we really tried to keep within the house. So the, mm-hmm. the house, the experience, you actually, you actually come into it at sort of in, at ground level and it sort of works, it's, it's carved very much into the rock itself. And that, but that, the, the journey moving upwards actually takes on the, the same the, um, gradient of the existing walk the existing rock. And then there's glimpses yeah. either side as you're going up. And then you get to the very living, the, the very top living rooms at the top of the house. And that's when you start to get these sort of views and this sense of this being a part of that topography. So there was mm-hmm. this sense of learning lessons from that existing experience and trying to do it so that when you place it on it, it's really enhancing in a way and reinforcing that experience of the build of, of the of the what it was like to be on the rock without the house. Yeah. And so when you were there, it sounds like you were kind of developing almost a design brief for yourself, of a brief of what you wanted to be responding to and enhancing and, and working with by understanding the site. But you must have also had, or you mentioned that the client also prepared a brief over a long period of time before then. So what what did you also have in your head when you were there more from a functional maybe point of view? Or, or was there brief a functional the, brief? The, the brief yeah, I mean, I mean, the brief was so well written i think you know the client extremely you know extremely intelligent very eloquent very interested in culture books reading and they've written a really beautiful brief in which it talks about the contradictions that he might um or they he and his wife would would, would want from the house being something which felt quite open and connected to the landscape yet also intimate in, intimate mm-hmm. something which was sort of avant-garde and you know expressive yet also not too showy and um place which felt capable of for him to bring friends and have gatherings yet also feel not feel overwhelming when there's just just him just two of them in the house as well and somewhere it feels very friendly and homely yet being of a scale which which is sort of responds to the site so and and then and i think that and then but there was also a yes i think mabel um had put together as well a very detailed itinerary of all the different rooms of the houses of that within the house and the different spaces within that. And that was, that was extremely useful. So we had to have these things to mind, certainly. And it was about, and we, and we knew there was going to be a main house and a guest house as well. There's going to be a swing pool. There's going to be a cinema room. There's going to be sort of like a number of bedrooms. So not having done a large house like this before, it was mm-hmm. quite a sort of learning process of thinking, okay, well, where do these all, how do these all piece together? And that those were certainly in the mind as we were, as we were going there, it was, the first thing was, okay, it was quite obvious that the main living spaces of the house were going to go up on the top of that rock somehow. And then it mm-hmm. felt like the you'd look back across the guest house 
looking down towards the south, placed at the there's a smaller a smaller rock actually, and they, that was that placed on top of that one. And they just felt that there's these nice pairings for the two buildings, mm-hmm. and everything else then started to connect between those. Yeah. So there's so there's the kind of emotional and uh, reactive kind of response to being on the site. It sounds like the success of the brief of the client was also because there was an emotional brief and that wasn't just a list of we want this, this and this. It was a feeling yes, as well. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that really helped the idea that um, it made you, And I felt, you know, we felt really, I guess we as a practice, we hadn't been going when well, maybe we were sort of seven-year-olds, six years old as a practice or something, but mm-hmm. we felt at that time quite liberated and just, really just being just enjoying the design without any kind of sense of he hadn't mentioned anything to do with style or anything to do with yeah there wasn't any any handle and i actually find it quite i find it quite difficult to understand to try and say what style it's part of because it feels very much about being part of the landscape in itself and it's yeah. still sort of grown from the from the from the side um yeah so so i think was yeah it was, it was just quite a natural process the the, the that of design and just starting to think through drawing and think through um, making models and things and just you know and the whole and going through that process in a way that we would the way we would at the time we were teaching at university as well Fiona and I and the way we'd be teaching our students how to design and things so it was really mm-hmm. just doing that in that intuitive way yet yeah, but the, and the dialogue with the client was really important to the to the development of the project itself of course because it's sort of mm-hmm. your thinking it's well about the formal connections of the landscape structures. You're really trying to imagine the, the house as a series of places for situ- human situations. So you're thinking about where, how you you're, you're trying to imagine those situations of how would the client, you know, where, 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 when they're making dinner or something, you know, what's the conversation going on between the person making dinner, someone working at the table, where the children may be, and other you know, and trying to get get a picture about how they might want to live in this house. And I think by the brief having some of these emotional things as well as it gives you a sense about how they might want to live within this house. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I have to admit, it was it was difficult trying mm-hmm. to design a house for, for a family when, without really meeting them and really knowing that much about them. Mm. It was difficult because you're so used to the, the Typically, we'd spend a lot of time really trying to get to know the client and trying to understand how they live, how, you know, and, and your, your role becomes, you know, a mediatory sometimes between different conflicting views within the household mm-hmm. about what the house should be, et cetera. And that's really fascinating. So not to have that in the first instance was interesting, but it, I think that did come afterwards. Evolved. I was going to ask, when did you get that? So that the dialogue with the client was really important mm-hmm. and to the client, it was important that they had a good relationship, a very close relationship with their yeah. architect. When did you actually meet them? And when did dialogue start relative so, to when you went to do the visit to the site? So, um, we won the competition. I think it was in um, in the springtime, and we went over there quite soon after that. Or it might have been, I, can't, I can't remember the exact dates now, but it's really quite soon after. We mm. went in the summertime um, and just met met the client on the site and walked around there together and talked through the competition and got their feedback on it directly. Um, mm. And it was just, you know, it's that, that first process of okay, what worked, what didn't, and what were your questions, what were the concerns, you know. And there were things which, you know, they they, they they were surprised about our design and it changed how they were thinking about the site. And there's other parts where they really sort of agreed with. And we you know when we started to test different options, like like where where the swimming pool might go and where the um where and, and, and the relationship of his you know, his his personal study, which was at the top of the house. We had that in a slightly mm-hmm. different formation and things. But it's just started to then you know that whole process of of dialogue started really from them, and was was a was a very um, continuous process really for the next few years. You know, it took the whole design process, and, 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 and we would and then we were you know fortunate to be able to go over there every every three months or so, and we'd meet the client on site, run yeah. through, and then but in between them we'd be having many Skype. It was then Skype rather than Zooms or Teams, mm-hmm. wasn't it? The old school of it all. But um, so we were trying out all of this sort of distance communications but we had lots of meetings you know weekly or fortnightly meetings all the way through yeah and what what did you do to convince them for you to win this competition you'd, you'd gone to the site 
but you didn't meet them until they chose you. So what mm. was it that was so convincing, do you think, about what you produced think, or presented? I think it was largely that connection that we'd had with the site and shown, talked about that diary and of our time on the site and the journey as well that they really connected with. I think that was really, and, and I think potentially some of the, some of the examples and precedents we use, and we did obviously have a design as well and a concept design, um, mm. but it's probably quite difficult. I realize now um, the client really responded most to actually some of the physical models we made, but we didn't, yeah. you know, we did actually send over a physical model as part of the competition. And I think that was really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But actually I think it was, yeah, I think, I think it was generally that some of that, that, that process I described that they won it for us really i mean that that connection with yeah. the site so a really good understanding then of, of, of what became important to you and what was clearly important to the client and what you helped them maybe also mm-hmm. learn what was important um to them i'm gonna just sort of read a quote out here that i think you have on your website i think with the project or i've read right. it somewhere in correlation yep. with a frank lloyd wright oh, quote yes. um that no house should ever be on a hill or on anything it should be of the hill belonging to it Hill and house should live together, each the happier for the other. And what I like about that quote is everything you've been saying about that you've used the word about enhancing um, the rocky outcrop. Um, maybe now in relation to the actual design and what you've produced um, rather than the experience of being on the site, could you maybe tell me a little bit about how now this house is, you designed this house situated on, on the rocky outcrop and to be of the hill. Um, if, if somebody hasn't been to the oh. house and doesn't know that this house, um, mm-hmm. what have you done with this design that, that really makes it of the, of the hill? It's a building where, which sort of grows out from the rock itself in a way. Um, it sort of cuts into, and then um, I guess understanding it conceptually in section, you'd see this rock and then you'd have blades of, rock which move is slightly carved in the basement um into where placing a series of rooms there there's a cinema room there's actually some of the who are now teenage two teenage uh, mm-hmm. children of his and of theirs um in down, down there at the bottom there's a, a gym there's a series of rooms down actually carved into the rock itself and then we have blades of metaphorically rock but actually concrete which move up and they support then a floor which is about the living the main living spaces of the room of the house and then further above that, these uh, blades of concrete continue to support the timber upper part, which are the most private domestic parts. So it's the bedrooms, the other bedrooms, the master bedroom and bathrooms and study, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I guess we have this, what, we, what you end up with in between the level of the top of the rock and then the timber upper part, we have this sort of um, the living spaces of the, of the house, the main living spaces. And they feel very connected to the landscape around them. There's quite a lot of sort of large open views. But then as these blades of concrete really um, work to conceal and provide privacy to the house and direct views in particular ways and give a sense of enclosure as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, so it's a sort of it's sort of the earth, the the, the gap and then the timber pieces above. Um, Mm -hmm. How we've laid it out as well is we have at at the top of the. As you enter in, you, the car drives in the driveway to the um, at the lower part of the site, and there's a garage there, which is built underneath the guest house. Then you actually enter in a room, which is actually coming underneath. You're actually get walking under, underneath a, a, the pool, a, um, the swimming pool, into a hallway, which feels like it's quite um, it's it's quite it's quite it's quite a low ceiling. It's sort of made out of this beautifully made. Um, in situ concrete, poured in situ concrete in the lower parts, and then and then you move from there, which has we're at the level of the of the ground at that point. And then as you start to rise in a large staircase, as you turn and you move up that staircase, and you move into towards the light, towards the, the living spaces of the house itself. And that's actually as I said before, following that topography of the ground. Um then we have, and then just to our left as we move up there, we then have the swimming pool terrace. And that swimming pool terrace is a sort of quite a long, linear, black reflecting pool, which is also it's about 14 metres long. And that's a space which can, with its terrace, that can connect another way of connecting the two. So it becomes an artificial ground, if you like, that connects the main house and the guest house as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you move up to the, to the main, 
the, the main living space of the house. And within the main living space of the house, when you think about the layout, there's a it's quite open plan. Um, yet each of these zones has its own. You know, there's a series of there's, there's a kitchen area, there's a dining area, there's a snug, there's a living space. And they're all on slightly different levels, um, and there's quite a complex arrangement in terms of the geometry of the existing topography of that, of, of we found on that rock, and they're directed to, towards particular views and to get light at particular times. So, for example, we get the east light coming into the breakfast bar area from the, coming through the trees, and then the dining room in, enjoys the west light coming from over over the uh, Rainbow Mountain. So, and then the the main living spaces have this chance of a panoramic view of towards the north and to the south, and so. Even within that, that that living space, it's quite it's quite complex in plan, but it's a mm. space, it's a building which really is one that you unfortunately really need to well, unfortunately you need to experience <laughs> it by walk through it because it's quite yeah. complex in the sort of the turns and the shapes. So it's very much about um, movement, but it's not. It's also a space where when you actually dwell in these particular areas, you really feel a point of stasis. I feel like it feels mm-hmm. a good place to for that particular use. Well, I mean, for for listeners as well, I think that I'll provide a link to there's a really beautiful video that you had made of the, of moving through the house, which is as close as um, many of us are going to get to to experience the it. But that would definitely be recommend. I recommend. Yes, that was, to, I mean, ta- ta- Tapio. There was a lovely moment actually when when um, Tapio Snellman, who made that um, video, was it, we actually spent. It was about I think we had three weeks on on uh, in the house itself together where, where Fiona, my business partner, and I were both there. And then Tapio mm-hmm. came over for a week, and we also had Rory Gardner, photographer, as well, taking photos as well. Wow! Right. So yeah. it was really lovely, and and, and it was, the house was just empty, so we had that chance to yeah. really engage and live in the house for a, for a few weeks. So I wanted to ask this then. So in the video, the doors seem to open by magic. While the camera's moving through, are you kind of hidden behind there on the floor? That might be someone, either Tapio or his partner actually was there as well. So, so there were all those special moments, yes. <laughs> they, um, yeah. But, but they, do, they do switch the doors. I mean, the joint. I mean, I mean, we should probably at some stage get onto the sort of the whole, the whole craft of construction. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just blown away by the care and accuracy that the, the contractors yeah. felt really placed onto that, and and. Um, I know everyone involved, the joiners, the concrete people, you know, it's just exquisitely done as a piece of Yeah. through and and the reasons for this because it's kind of it's almost like a it's like a little village in a sense of these little blocks yeah. that all face different directions it's it's quite organic in a sense um but they're all designed to face particular views and, and bring in certain mm. light to the particular spaces but also like what you're saying about the of being of the hill the materiality i understand of it was the concrete the idea that it's kind of grey and it's of the rock that it's like it's like the building emerging out of the solid kind of base, yes. with then the lighter timber tops, like kind of treetops. Is is that was that? Yeah, no, it, it was really. I mean, it seems maybe cheesy and quite obvious, but it it it, it mm-hmm. was. I mean, it also came from a practical reason that we knew that because we were going to be dig, you know, working into the rock a little bit mm. in terms of which was because we wanted to bury the house to an extent so it didn't feel overbearing on the side. Yeah. And also you could make the most out of the thermal mass of being within mm-hmm. the ground. Um, but because when you were doing that, we were going to be using concrete without, there's no doubt about that at all. And it, yeah. because, especially because you're in a sort of technical straits and you've got the whole, we're in a seismic zone, etc. So um, we thought, well, we're working with concrete, let's expose that, you know, let, let, let's really work with that and, and actually expose that on both sides. So the concrete was board marked on both sides so you've got a sensitive craft through i mean um and then that had this added thing about feeling like yes the rock is growing up through to support these upper more filigree aspects which i guess are sort of influenced by the trees in some way um so but then they also impact the interiors because there is a definite different sense of mood through the spaces as you move up it's it's quite 
dark and compressed in some parts like the the dark and light is more mm. exaggerated than when you get higher up in the building how much did you have to um work into the rock like how much was the existing rock affected by this building in terms of it was digging it, into it it was um yeah it was it was we i mean we we, we aim to keep as much of the sort of trees as we could do on site so a lot of that are already there and we sort of really worked about and configured the footprint of the building to try and keep those embrace the trees that were there um and but the and the rock itself we it was really important that we kept most of the sort of key features, but we did end up digging in to quite a bit of the incline of the rock and then placing that back in a way. Because in a way, that's where we placed down there some of the plants, the pool room, and also the cinema, which is like right at the bottom of the mm-hmm. rock behind the crest of it. But when, when, when so that would be dug away and we, we, you know blasted and then cut away really carefully. Um, but we made sure we we absolutely wanted to ensure that the peak of the crest of the rock and the key features there weren't affected at all. And there was actually a time where it was, it was, it was literally, we were sort of like almost a chisel to try and get it away to make sure that that top of that, the peak of the rock wasn't damaged when you were cutting away from yeah. behind of it. I remember at one stage talking to the contractors and they were saying, well, Jay, we might have to just lose this bit and rebuild it up again somehow. And I said, look, if this gets lost, the whole project's gone. Because it really, really <laughs> felt like if that went, you had to restart the whole project somehow. Because it was all about the rock being being from that living room view, having that still in, in situ there. So, so yeah, so we had to, we did have to cut away. But it's not, that's, I mean, that's something that's pretty commonplace when you're working with Slowen. It's like you're having to cut in for foundations and things anyway. So it's not like it was, and it wasn't, we didn't dig, it was more about just digging into it really, because you didn't yeah. dig down from the bottom bit because it was such a steep incline. It was digging into the face of that. That wasn't really an unusual process. And then on the, in this main living space, I mean, I think this is the first time this project caught my attention was one of these views that's from within the living space. It's looking out onto this incredibly beautiful view over a lake with mountains in the distance. Mm. And, um, I don't know. I thought there was something kind of you could film James Bond in here or something. That was my instant kind of reaction. Yeah. But the the ceiling, what you've done with the ceiling and this lightweight sort of really light timber lines and the ceilings all on different directions. <laughs> that was the first thing that kind of caught my attention. The project. I was like, wow, what is what is this place? Can you tell me a little bit about what you've done with the timber ceiling there that's sort of sitting on top of this concrete? So, yeah, I mean the the I mean the timber ceiling. I guess conceptually we talked of it as being almost a cloud in a way. Mm-hmm. And this idea that that would be a, this constant horizon um, and the ground would move, but this would stay as this constant horizon off which you measure the ground. So rather than the, the floor of this part of the rock changing and the ceiling also changing section, that becomes this constant medium. And that allows for a different, it, quite a lot of different experiences of like actually where you, where, where you, as you move up into living spaces, you have a moment where you can almost touch it. And then when you move up down a few stairs, it becomes much taller around the dining area, etc. And then we have a part where it then pops up to perform a lantern above there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in a way, that sort of cloud, that sort of timber, timberline cloud with, with was had it has a real sense of warmth as well. I mean, a really important part of what that function does as well is find an acoustic function because actually mm-hmm. beneath those timber battens, you can see there's very fi- the fine timber battens which actually work with the geometry, the quite complex geometry of the different rooms. They come together so very carefully drawn up by um, Joe and Andrew and the whole team uh, as, at, at in the practice. Um, and they, but between those, they're actually acoustic, a lot of acoustic insulation as well. So it's right. a space where, as you said, you might film James Bond, or it feels almost like a public building in the scale of that in some ways. Mm-hmm. But actually, when you go into those rooms, it's actually really quite dead. And, you know, it's, it's quite, the acoustics are really soft. There's not echoey. Yeah. You don't hear, you know, if you drop something, you wouldn't hear a reverberation much because it's that all of that timber ceiling has all got lots of acoustic insulation within it, as well as all the thermal insulation as well. And that gives yeah. this really comfortable sort of domestic feel to those spaces even though they're quite large in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something that seems really important to make sure this doesn't just feel like a stage set or some kind of museum or something that you're living in but has a really comfortable feel to it um and but yeah is that in a way kind of enhancing the idea of the rock on the ground i really like what you're saying about mm. this the ceiling is like this continuous plane yeah and then everything else is sort of split below it. and i hadn't really thought about it in that way before you mentioned it but it kind of in 
I don't know why, but it reminds me a little bit of the National Theatre in London. Of yeah. this, I mean, obviously, because it's made out of concrete, a very literal yeah. kind of thing there. But yeah. but there, there's all these split levels. It's a foyer, obviously, for mm. public. But but the ceiling in some of the spaces seems like the continuum, whereas the steps and levels all kind of change. I think, yes. No, I, th- I mean, I think that is a key. I mean, obviously, love that, that, that building. I think there is, there's also Sharoon's Bibliotheque as well, and um, in, and, in uh, Berlin, which plays a similar thing of the idea of the cloud with the landscape beneath it, and there's yeah. a number of things playing with that device. Um, but yes, it does. It does in a way enhance that quality of the topography. I, I believe underneath it, where you're really aware of that section because of those changes. Um, yeah. And it's actually, and but 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 you mentioned the craft. You know, the the, the, the timber detailing of that. I mean, it was. I I was just yeah, it's getting blown away by how carefully it was done and and just getting all of those exact alignments of all those little mm. thin um, two-by-one sort of uh, pieces of oak. I mean, it's an oak... The, 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 that's... This whole of that soffit was using um, an oak um, board, and the... Actually, whereas above on the upper levels of the house, it was it was nearly all hemlock, the sort of a different type of timber to it, and that in itself has a different softness and a different feel to it. Why, why did you change the timber then? From I the think it was level? something about the softness. It was like those those... It was, it was the public areas of the house were on this middle area where it was a lot of like the ground was concrete and then the upper had this warm oak ceiling to it. And I think it was then wanting to go another level further in terms of the feeling of domesticity and, mm-hmm. and um, just a softness to it. And the hemlock is, really, is a really soft, pale wood as you go up onto, that, onto that, the upper levels of the house. And they're very different spaces, aren't they? Once you get to the upper levels, they're kind of they feel like outposts, like they're like treetop houses. So these rooms, yeah. the, the, the windows don't go floor to ceiling. A lot more domestic. Um, can you tell me a bit about those? Because I think some of them are bedrooms. One of them's a study that's kind of yeah. right at the top of the building. Yeah, I mean the it's it. it I think that also the stair. You, you get a sense in the middle point of the house as you've moved up the, the stair. From the base, from the entrance area, you know that the continuation there, coming towards the light and towards the sort of main living spaces, is still a concrete floor. But then there's a timber floor that moves off to your right hand side, and that is quite obviously different as a departure, and mm-hmm. feels like it's much more. It's not public in a way, and you instinctively know that's the more private areas of the house. And then that that and then that was something which was true of when you when you move off onto that corridor. You've got light filtering in from above, um, and it just feels softer. It feels like the kind of place where you certainly wouldn't wear your shoes or something. It has a mm-hmm. different, you just have a different atmosphere to it. Um, and actually, the, the bedrooms are, although they're, they're sort of lovely and they work with the section as well, um, but they're not overly grand. You know, I think most mm. of the most of the, the the area we were allowed to build on the site, a lot of it we wanted to put to those those family houses, the places where, should we call it public, the people gather and they come together, whereas a lot of the bedrooms are fairly efficiently planned in a way. They're sort of mm-hmm. regular and rectangular and and they and they just they just serve a function really well. They have en suites and they're all uh, very nice. But then there are there is then the master bedroom occupies in a way a lantern of a it's quite glazed on all sides. And we also have the study, which has one lantern as well. I mean, there's a series of these sort of lantern elements which appear from the timber, the, the, the black timber cladding on the other part. Mm-hmm. So these lantern, lanterns, is, to sort of describe to a listener, there's almost simplifying it, but three layers to this building of a solid sort of concrete heavy base with punctured openings, a more kind of open plan concrete but very kind of widely glazed open plan living spaces and then these lanterns are the top layer kind of perched on the top kind of popping up in different yes. places yeah. yeah and in terms of the craft that you're saying about the you know like the work that these people did on the timber ceilings and things like that i mean did anyone lose their mind on this project as in in terms of the the level of complexity and accuracy that they must have had to have had here yeah. how did did you control all of that from the uk or did you have somebody helping you in in canada was from a technical side okay so so um actually first first of all in terms of do people have do we have any help we thought at the beginning of the project we'd need an executive architect mm-hmm. over there in canada we just assumed because of the scale of the project uh, that we might be required to have an architect over there an architect of record or something um but we actually found, and we when we when Fiona and I went over there 
in the autumn after winning the not not the first time, but the autumn, we actually interviewed a few different architects thinking that might be the case. They would help with the site stages and the construction detailing stages. And then we either, we met some really lovely people, but we either felt that they wanted to be involved more in the design, you know, really have an influence co- mm-hmm. cooperating on the design together. Or, and we knew that that was going to be something, a very personal thing between us and the client. Or they were actually a little bit more relaxed, shall we say, and actually they probably wouldn't have gone into the same level of detail and precision that we would go down into our typical set of stuff. Yeah. So we actually found that we were able, and then we actually, at the same time, we researched whether we were actually able to be the architects. And we decided, and it was understood that we could actually do the entire project because it was just below the, the square footage you didn't need mm-hmm. that for. And actually the contractor right. could put in the building permit notice. And we we would be just classified as the architectural designer, not an architect in a way, or might be called designer officially. Um, but we did have someone called Cat Sullivan, who what, used to work for the municipality, the building control, or built, looking at the permit side of things. Mm-hmm. So she was really instrumental in really helping us to guide us through the complex um zoning requirements and the different you know requirements in terms of um the structure would require in terms of areas and the param- the various parameters which you were allowed to build to but largely we would just sort of try to just digest the whole extent of what was going to need to happen it was quite it was quite a feat but i think it was at that mm. at that stage thinking well we know we'd be able to do this we should really put our heart into it and really really not scared of the challenge at all then actually working with the contractor was was you know we went through an interview with a series of some of the very best contractors in the whole of um, Vancouver and actually the whole West Coast. Well, we interviewed some that were sort of from further afield, like Seattle and further down as well, as well as Vancouver and Whistler. And and that and then we selected Durfelt because they produced some really lovely houses, but also largely because we just really had such a short felt so assured by the site people are going to be on site so tom and davis we just felt really you could imagine the kind of care that they thinking mm-hmm. about and the just just having the foresight to think about problems in advance um but this idea of did anyone lose their mind doing it? i mean i think it's a real lesson here is in in this project about how people will really put a lot in if the client really shows that they care about this as well mm-hmm. i think having the client would come there and you know, they'd even bring them cakes onto site or drinks and they'd go for meals together when we were in town together as a whole team. And I think it was, and I think everybody knew and really just how, how, how much the client really appreciated the effort people mm. were going to. I think that was something, and they, and they knew it was going to be a family house for them all and wanted to, to work something great. And I think also, given the first, Al, Al from BMAC Construction was this, uh, this big burly contractor from, from the contract uh, that would involve for doing all of the the concrete works and was just an amazing craftsman and and a fantastic team of people with him and just set the scene going because the very from the very start of things from the very those first pieces of walls where you had the board mark concrete comes off and it's the, the precision there it really set the scene for the whole house no one wanted to be the people to sort of screw up in a way or to do yeah. something that wasn't going to hit, hit the same sort of levels of of um of care and attention and accuracy. So I think it just sort of, it's, and it, there was no need for snagging at all, really. I mean, mm. Joe Mack, um, our project architect, or Joe McMahon, our project architect, you know, he would go over there to do snagging towards the end, but really they were finding it for themselves. There was nothing mm. to, they didn't, hardly needed to, in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a nice message in that there for, for clients. Buy your architects and your builders donuts and dinner. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not all the time, but it was it was, it was true. It, 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 I mean, it it wasn't just that. It was it was. Yes, I think that is true. I think no, no, I, I lot, get it. I think do all the, yeah. do lots of that, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, but with the clients, I mean, that's that's really lovely to hear that, and that it it pays off, and it it all kind of worked together as a relationship. And um, I mean, just focusing on them and their kind of response. There's a really nice quote that's on your website from them saying living in the rock is a special experience. Many architects through their work, create art and alter environments. A few like Gort Scott transform lives. Um, and I wanted to ask you what, what you thought in your opinion that you did that, uh, that transformed their lives. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I mean, what I can see is that when you're there, we spent time. Uh, so 
my wife, you know, Caroline, I and my son have been over there and spent time on a number of occasions with with the client and their family. And actually, my son is the same age as one of their children as well, and sort of became friends through this. Um, and I just see how the house is used by them all, how they might not have envisioned it before in a way. And it's and, and, and it just feels like a very comfortable place to be. Actually, when you're there, you know, when you've got the Lego and stuff spilled all over the carpet, you've got people downstairs on their iPads in the sort of outside, in, in the sort of lounge area there. You've got where you might be in the music room or the study. There's, there's just, um, it's just a sort of, I really, it just feels very lived in that whole place. But I think you have to still always have this connection to the wider area and the nature as well. Um, and I think it just feels like a very, it feels like a very comfortable house to be within really. Um, and get one where you can then just sit in a special, different special setting or a chair or something and just really enjoy and contemplate those distant views or the way the light falls and stuff as well. And those more poetic mm-hmm. moments. So I think it's that balance between the everyday and the poetic, which I think the client has really, really enjoyed and really, really with it. Um, I mean, everything, I know that, you know, when he talks personally about even the sort of sighting of the bedroom, the master bedroom, which has, is, is up at the top there and will really, will, has lots of glazing at sort of high level all around it, which, so he, he enjoys actually the light coming through there at like, I don't know, five in the morning or what have you. I mean, I, I personally, I'd hate that. I couldn't, yeah. I'd want to have it much more in blackout, but actually in those moments and then, and then actually for him, for them to be able to go out and do yoga on the terrace, panorama terrace just outside of that. There's a lot of very special moments that came through almost talking about how you would ideally like to live within a house. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, fortunately we've been able to realize many of those, many of the moments, I think, or a particular particular placing of a fire pit say looking over a particular reflection of 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 a, of a of particular viewpoint or reflection of light as well over to the lake and just just yeah. moments like this so you've you know in that sense you've kind of answered that initial brief that the client was giving when they were talking about these contrasts of um, particularly open openness and intimacy that's kind of achieved do you, do you feel with with this design i hope so yeah, and I, th- I think so. I, I, I do think so. I mean, I think there's something about those, especially those rooms, those put the, the, the living space, the, the open plan living space, dining, kitchen, snug area, where it feels strangely enclosed and mm-hmm. you don't feel exposed to the views looking in, etc. but that you feel very connected to the landscape as well. There's, there are large pieces of glazing with underneath large overhangs, but where we've got these the, the, the walls of the of the the rock which rise upwards, they do really start to sense, give a sense of enclosure to that as well. So mm-hmm. I think so. I think it has met some of those original original briefs. And actually, you know, we, we, it, it was a interesting journey. We, we, it was it was one where we made some really large models of the whole project, including mm-hmm. sort of like one to, you know one to twenty models of the whole that whole area. You could almost put your head into when you get your head because we knew that once it started the work we couldn't really change things when it was there you couldn't start to move things around like suddenly oh let's put the bedroom where where the study is or or let's put let's move around where the main living space or the scale of that because you were working from the ground very much from the ground up um and so fortunately we just had to let it unroll and there was small tweaks and changes but it was you know very much and actually we did things like we even made we even went out there into we were we were into we were in our office was in, our studio was in Dalston at the time in London and we went out into the local public square there and actually mapped out the whole of those all those living spaces using sort of um, right. string and chalk and things and put some yeah. furniture in there and actually even held up on on <laughs> sort of rods the sort of ceiling height just to get a sense of the scale of this space because yeah. it was you know it's really difficult to measure against when I mean, you're so used to working in a scale which is based in London or something or like domestic yeah. houses. Um, and I think that dialogue, you know, yeah, that, that was, that was that dialogue as well. We, 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 Fiona, my business partner who had more experience of working on some of these larger houses while she's working at David Adjay before our practice yeah. was used to scale those. Whereas I was always think, often thinking, oh, this seems too big or seems <laughs> or what have you, but um, to, to actually get captured those, that scale, of the, of the project took a, took a lot, but actually I think feels, we've sort of caught that right in the end. 
And so, you know, with this process of building the models and testing things out in the square in Dalston, you, you felt you had a good idea before it was being built. Once it was built, and particularly once you got to spend time to stay there when you're doing this video and the photo mm. shoot, were there aspects of it that really kind of surprised you that um, were different to what you were maybe expecting? I, yes. I mean, it's always, it's, it's always surprising as, a, as you as the building emerges really um, of any project and that difference between when you've been working on something so closely in terms of model to actually then be within that. And I think, um, I guess it opened up new sort of, there's new views that were created that you wouldn't have expected and new ways of mm -hmm. looking at the building, which were really fascinating. And the way the light fell just brought it to life even further in a way. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, 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 as all projects really, they sort of endlessly, they carry you you learn a lot as they come through and, and there are certain in, of the intentions that really come through and certain that weren't really you know weren't really as strong or as you know something might be really important in your mind early on actually is less important when it's actually built and finished through there but other things take take, take more more importance yeah have you got any good examples of that on um, this project? potentially like the arrival bit there was there was a thought that there was this how we would bridge over the the, the, the topography to get in there actually became sort of less important in a way as we went we went through and you realized actually by the size of the driveway and what you needed for turning circles of cars that, that was less less um as a key moment um mm -hmm. and maybe some some of the things we really enjoyed were starting to be the relationship between the guest house and the main house as it started to be constructed mm -hmm. at the upper levels and and the kind of shadow and light that that that, that, that created as well yeah, um, and I think actually the the cladding of the house was something which, um, with the deep um, black and timber fins, I mean the the effect that those have on the way the light moves around this and acting almost like a sundial and a measure of the light and shadow was something that really was really wonderful. Actually, even something so yeah. black, it becomes so you know so much contrast within that at many times. Um, so that was something that was really, really fun, you know really really exciting and the way that actually seeing the the light the way that it captures the, the west light onto the face of the building um from down at the public park something important mm -hmm. and so when you went to to visit and you spent those five six days you got to know the the rock the rocky outcrop very well um and it became very important to you as as, as part of the design um how do you think the rock feels now um with its new incarnation how, how would the rock feeling <laughs> I, I think that maybe the rock would feel quite happy in a way because it's it's um it's sort of got a new hat in a way and it's got or, or some <laughs> new clothes i mean in a way it's 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 the house itself has enhanced and sort of gathered the rockness of the rock in a way and i think and and brought out its qualities and without suppressing it i mean in a way the rock is still the king in a way because it's still mm. there and this piece sort of sits back behind that and sort of in a way hovers above as well, but it brings into that dialogue. So I think it's, it's quite, it's been, I think it's fairly happy. It's been part of a wider dialogue with the people and the people being able to, I mean, from the very start, we always, one of the very first sketches I produced from down on the sort of out on the edge of the jetty on the lakeside part below there was of the rock itself with this slightly floating sculptural elements that didn't really know what it was at that time. It actually became this root terrace, but this idea that, you keep the sort of rock and then this piece would be floating above that. And the idea that you wouldn't know what, if this is a house or what it is exactly distinctively from that, but it's just like, almost like a sculptural, quite elemental idea of mm -hmm. the rock and a plane above that in some way. And I think that's, you know, that when, when you, that stills come through on some of the, you can see from some of the photographs we've got there. Yeah. I think in a way that feels like it's respecting and, you know, and, and working with that as a sort of, yeah. as, as a relationship of parts. Okay, Jay, I'm, I'm now going to ask you um, the three questions that I ask all of my guests on the podcast. Okay. Um, and we're going to move away from the rock and this beautiful house in um, in uh, Whistler and take you back to London and ask you, what is the one thing that really annoys you in your own home? Crikey. Um, I think probably storage, especially for bikes as well. I mean, we have that whole thing, as many people have with with three of us three bikes now as well main way of getting around london mm -hmm. 
actually down in our entrance hall, that whole juggle between between one to another. I guess it's we've tried things like hanging them on on brackets and things. They just mm-hmm. seem to sort of somehow get in the way. So I'd say I'd say that I'd say the sort of that entrance secret. I'd love to be able to somehow open things up a bit more around there and, and work that out. But I think I think that's something that annoys me. Um, and it's yeah, it's interesting that, that that we you know you can have places for parking cars for free, but actually parking bikes on the streets and stuff is just near on impossible. So yeah, yeah. I think that I think I tell you that thing, George. Um, and then if you can describe one house that you've visited that's really inspired you, and tell me why. Um, I think I mean there's lots of houses that are sort of ex- that that really influenced. The House of the Rock we were talking about before that I haven't visited all of those, of course, but one that I have visited that influenced not really just our domestic or residential work, but generally work generally is a house by uh, Mary Jose Van Hay. Uh, it's in Belgium um, and it's, it's on Pigstraza and it's her own house. Um, and it's a house which has a sort of at its heart this is this, this, public room as you move into this the living room there's sort of just like a a large table there's a fire there's a sort of a quite high windows to the street so you don't see into the street but then it's all focused then on this this sort of cloister around a garden um and which which the which the main space works onto and i just think there's something it was something really simple and elegant in the way that exposes the um the construct the craft of the construction um and the joinery and the and it's something where the the structure and construction and atmosphere really, really sort of are really. Well, so the atmosphere is really influenced by the way it's been made, the building and the mm-hmm. proportions of those. The scales of the rooms that just seem to be really perfectly uh, positioned. It's it's a house which doesn't all f- that that is also very sort of intelligent and plan um, and has a real economy of means to it. So I think I think yeah, I think that's a really Really so I, I don't know this project. Is this a recent, recently constructed project? There's a project. Um, well, do you know? I don't know if you know Mary Jose van Hey. No, I don't. know. It's um, she's a Belgian architect, and she's works on. She's done a number of really lovely house projects. Some of them being out in um, out in rural locations or others, but also has a really strong sense of. There's a lot of urban projects as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, she worked on. Um, Oh, some 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 really lovely projects. I mean, just just I guess check out the. I mean, rather than talk about yeah. all of the work together, but um, she's actually someone as well that I got to know through when we were examining at the Cass School of Architecture in London. We were external examiners for mm-hmm. about three or four years together as well. So she's got a right. really lovely sense of yeah. sense of view on architecture. But um, we went over there with our student took our students over there on a student trip maybe about eight years, eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, Jay, if you could choose any designer to design you a new home, who would you choose? Um, any new designer, you say? Any, any, any designer. Any designer, any designer. Okay, Living well, or I, dead? I guess, I guess if it was... I guess really we should take the same angle that we were given as well, give an opportunity to someone, someone young and someone, so an opportunity, you know, like we were given the opportunity to do a house by somebody, you know, some of the really talented architects out there which haven't maybe had that opportunity already um mm-hmm. this is if i was very wealthy and we we're doing a house like that <laughs> so there are people like um people we know like OMMX or simon weston um done really beautiful houses which are working you know really carefully with the sites and with the clients and the sense of playfulness and and color and materiality which i find you know very inspiring for the you know a younger yeah. generation of projects coming through nice think. Well, Jay, thank you very much uh, for joining me uh, for this episode of another Architecture Podcast. George, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Gort Scott and The Rock, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com and try out the Instagram page to see the work of all my guests. 
If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, then please leave a review to help other people find the podcast. To find out about another house constructed out of concrete, you might be interested to listen to episode 29, where I talk to the architect John Choi of Croffy Architects about their project, Loom de Sang. You can listen to the episode by visiting the Another Architecture Podcast website. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. And thanks again for listening.